Well, good morning, Moody Church. I have uh, missed you, been gone for a couple of weeks, and, and uh, good to be back here with you as well. We're going to be continuing our series in Matthew, in Matthew chapter 6. If you have a Bible, take it out. There's also some pew Bibles there in and around, and you can find there, uh, those there and turn to Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. I was actually uh, in California for a lot of the time, and I was in a, uh, I'll, say, I'll save you the stories of the relaxing beach time that we spent while well, it was cold here as we suffered for the Lord, but instead I will mention to you um, is, is the part of the conversation was I was actually in the, in the car with the president of a school called Biola University. We went to a meeting, we were driving somewhere. And that school, many of you know, was uh, the first dean was actually a former pastor of Moody Church, which, I mean, oratory is kind of a big deal and all, but the bigger deal is that Pastor Bill Birchie actually attended Biola University. And so, so I was in the car driving with, uh, with the president, Barry Corey, and we started having a conversation about Bill Birchie. And, and, he, he, and, I, and I said, well, how was he as a student? And he, he said, well, legally, I'm not allowed to tell you, but he looked really sad. And... Um, <laughs> their education laws. And I, and I said, well, I mean, is there any particular topic that you'd tell us not to talk to Bill about? And he said, oh, oh, math. You don't want to talk to Bill about math. Those of you who are actually here Easter Sunday know why. And so you may remember in the sermon, <laughs> for Bill's mathematical skills, I, I'm sure hope Carmay balances the checkbook after watching your sermons. Other than the math error, though, didn't he do an amazing job last week on Easter Sunday? He did. He did. And we're thankful for that, though I think the math was worth the price of admission. And that's not, by the way, Barry Corey, uh, we didn't say any of that uh, at all. So, but anyway, um, well, I'm going to talk today about how Jesus calls us to be godly when sometimes we just want to, we want to look godly. I was actually with Barry Corey, and so he, uh, I needed to get to LAX to take a flight. And it was, my flight was hours later after our meeting. So I said, listen, why don't you drop me off at a restaurant? And a little later on, I'll take an Uber to get to the airport, let the traffic die down. My flight was at nine something. And, um, and so, um, so I was waiting there at the restaurant. He had gone home. It was kind of near his, his house. And, and so I went home. And, I, and if you know how Uber works, and, and I'm not here to like recommend the product. I'm here to share something related to it. Uh, but, uh, but if you know how Uber works, it, it shows up on your phone and, and you kind of type it in. You type where you're going. And then it tells you the name of the person who's going to be there. And they have, actually have a rating. I have a rating on Uber, which it's deeply disturbing to me that it's 4.93, not 5.0. So it's every day I get up and say, who did I, was I late to get in their car? But a perfect score is 5.0. And not a lot of people have a perfect score. Not a lot of drivers have a perfect score. But anyway, so I was, uh, I was waiting the rest of the rest. I had my dinner and I was doing working some work. I email. I said, okay, I've got to start heading to the airport, the traffic. Uh, had died down. And so what I did is, is I actually uh, requested, I pressed in LAX and where I was, actually tells where you are based on the GPS. And, uh, and then I was, I was really, I was ready to go, but then I was shocked when it said Jesus would be picking me up. There it is right there. So I'm, I got six minutes uh, until... The return, right? <laughs> I know it's not Jesus, and I know. Because Jesus, the Red book of Revelation says he has seven stars in his hand, not five. So I knew that. And he's coming in clouds of glory, not an Uber. I knew that. So I knew. Um, <laughs> I know, and it says no man knows the day or the hour, so it's not six minutes from now, right? 
So I knew all those things, but I, on the other hand, I do remember the song, Jesus Take the Wheel, so I thought maybe, maybe he has. Maybe she was right. I don't know. Um, but, it's, but, it's, but it's interesting, and, and I know, by the way, it's Jesus, and I know it's a common name in, in a Latino context, uh, but it was kind of fascinating, and so it got me to thinking, because I was actually preparing my sermon, and then Jesus is six minutes away. And I said, well, this is interesting because it sort of relates to my sermon, right? Because I think of how people respond to the coming of Jesus. I saw a bumper sticker that said, Jesus is coming, look busy. And I thought, that's not how you're supposed to live. That's not ultimately uh, what it's supposed to be like because Jesus calls us to live in such a way and to live our lives in such a way. He calls us to be godly when sometimes we want to just look godly. And so everything that would sort of respond to, six minutes, let me, let me stop doing what I'm doing and doing something else, all of those things are built on the idea that you've got something inside that doesn't align with what you've said outside. So try to look more godly. Jesus is coming soon. And this is a big part of the Scripture passage we're looking at today. Let's take a look at it. It starts in Matthew chapter 6, and it says, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, don't announce it with trumpets as hypocrites do in the synagogues or on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, notice it's a when, when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So you're giving so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now, if you look at this passage, you'll see a couple of key things. And let me make sure we get them right at the beginning. Hypocrisy is the concern. Giving is the example. Hypocrisy is the concern, and giving is the example. And Jesus calls us to be godly when sometimes we just want to look godly. And if you look, and let's just take out for just a moment the giving, though that's going to be the main part of the middle of our message. But here's what it is. If you just look at Matthew 6, the first part, and then the last, it says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Then it says, if you do, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Then it talks about giving. Then it comes back, then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So the, the main focus of the passage is hypocrisy. The example of the hypocrisy is giving. So let's dive in and see what that looks like today. Now you'll notice one of the things in a, about a Bible is that the Bible has chapter divisions and sometimes chapter divisions are super helpful, sometimes they're not. The, the, when the Bible was written, there was no uh, Matthew 5 or Matthew 6 or Matthew 7. It was just one document. And so later on, so we could say things like, right, we just had a wonderful reading of, from the book of Ephesians. Well, you followed along because we said Ephesians chapter 2, verse so-and-so. So it's a tool for you to find things, but sometimes it can give you the idea that we're starting a whole new idea in Ephesians, excuse me, in Matthew 6 versus Matthew 5. We're actually not. We've, over the last few months, been making a slow walk through the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, recently, we finished chapter 5, and where we covered the Beatitudes, how to be salt and light. Um, six examples of greater righteousness were what we've covered the last few weeks. 
Now, the last two weeks, we actually had Michael Best, did a great job. We had Pastor Bill Burchie, did a great job. And so we've not been in Matthew, and I should say as well, we'll actually be three weeks again outside of Matthew, but four weeks from now, we'll continue here. So I want to remind you that our main texts that we've been working through on Sundays is the Gospel of Matthew. And so, so what happens, though, is there's a little gap between what we're talking about, right? We, we, we ended chapter 5 uh, three Sundays ago, and now we're on chapter 6, and four Sundays from now we'll continue on chapter 6. But chapter 5 is very tied to chapter 6. It's still about true or greater righteousness. So if you're taking notes, number one on your outline is the general instruction of true righteousness. So this transition from chapter 5 to chapter 6 is simply a new way of stating. We had six, if you remember, we had, we had actually six examples of what true righteousness or greater righteousness is how Jesus said. Jesus kept saying, you've heard it said, but I say to you. You've heard it said, but I say to you. Six times he said that. That's the six examples of greater righteousness. Now he's going to give us three examples of true righteousness, right? And so, so now think back and remember back to when we started here in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. If you have it open, you can turn there, but it's not on the screen. Jesus says, don't think I came to abolish the law or the prophets. And if you missed this, you can listen online at moodychurch.org. It says, don't think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish, but to fulfill them. I truly say to you, not heaven and earth will pass away, not an, iota, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until it's accomplished. Then he says, therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. And then he says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, let me remind you, we talked about this weeks ago, you can follow along online, uh, that we did point out that Paul uses the word righteousness differently then Jesus uses the word righteously, right? So same word, but Jesus is giving a different emphasis. Paul's talking about a righteousness that only gets into what we call an imputed righteousness that comes from new life in Christ. Jesus is talking to his disciples about how to live rightly, how to live a righteous life in light of and the necessity of being a follower of Jesus so you would have received imputed righteousness and then you'd grow in sanctification to be more like Jesus. Sorry for some of the large theological terms, but we're reviewing some things we've covered for the last several months. So Jesus says he's the fulfillment of the law and that kingdom righteousness, uh, righteousness enter, necessary to enter God's realm, but succeed some of the most religious people because they were making exceptions to the law and things of that sort. Up to now, we just gave six examples of this, what this greater righteousness looks like. Uh, murder is more than killing someone. Uh, it's also being angry at them. Adultery is more than just having sex with someone beside your spouse. It's looking at lust towards them. And he goes through those things and explains those things. And he's calling them to pursue the idea of a greater kingdom righteousness now, even more so in chapter 6. And so the theme of righteousness doesn't end at Matthew 5.48, which we looked at three weeks ago, where Jesus says, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect, which both reminds us of the imputed righteousness, the deposited righteousness in us, because Jesus died on the cross for our sin and in our place, and we have received by grace and through faith his righteousness, but also the righteousness of spiritual growth, of sanctification that comes as well. So then it begins with Matthew chapter 6 and verse 1. Let's take a look. It says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Okay, if you do, 
you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So Jesus, before this, is saying, here's six ways we, have, we need to have greater righteousness. And then the caution is, but don't practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. So, so from, this is the beginning now of another set of examples. There's three examples, which we'll cover probably in the next month or two. Three examples. Then we go into a beautiful, well, something you're going to be very familiar with, uh, what's sometimes called the Lord's Prayer. We're going to talk about it as the disciples' model prayer. Our Father in heaven, your name is holy. Or as I learned it growing up, our Father who art in heaven, uh, hallowed be thy name. We're going to do that in just about uh, two months from now. So, so again, uh, Jesus is addressing religious people who have perverted three common religious practices uh, on, on that day, almsgiving, prayer, and fasting. So Jesus has addressing religious people who have perverted three very common religious practices. These aren't random things, right? Almsgiving, giving to the poor, uh, prayer, and fasting are very common things, right? And we're going to see how his teaching of higher righteousness really impacts our giving, our praying, and our fasting. But you need to not miss, these teachings would be a shock to the first century listeners and still impact us today, uh, 2,000 years later. Verse 1 sort of frames the first three sections of chapter 6, right? Remember, it's a bridge. It's a carryover from Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 47, all the, all the six examples of greater righteousness. And the theme is still righteousness. The theme is still righteousness. Now, in, in, in Matthew's gospel, righteousness tends to mean uh, obedience to God's will, tends to mean obedience to God's will. So, Jesus is instructing his followers how to live as citizens of his kingdom, right? He tells them to follow God, right? And, and as he begins to explain more and more who he is, they'll get that picture as well. Well, so what would be the wrong reason? They're following, don't miss this, they're literally following God for the wrong reason. Because almsgiving is a religious obligation, prayer is a religious obligation, and fasting is a religious obligation. So don't, see, don't miss how this shifted, right? If you've been here the last few months, you know that the other six things were things like don't murder, don't have adultery, right? So those were negative things. Jesus is now saying, but I got more to say. It's not just murder, it's not just adultery, but even when you're doing good religious things, don't do them as a hypocrite. Now, that's really key. Now, remember, too, that Matthew is written to the religious people of the day. That's why Matthew can be so challenging to us when we preach it in a, a robust church setting with lots of people who may have been uh, followers of Jesus or some might say religious for a long time. Matthew is written to us. So Matthew's written to, you've heard me say a few times, Matthew's written to the older brother in the parable of the prodigal son. The one who said, I can't believe you did all these things, and I'm upset at my brother and don't understand the full grace of the father. So Matthew is written towards the religious, and I got to tell you, however you want to find it, I've been religious a long time, and so have a lot of you. So this is not something that we want to look at and say, well, that's for other people. This is something that I think we need to look at for us. So he tells them not to practice their righteousness in front of others. And, and some people have actually seen this almost to an extreme literalism, right? So that means I can't pray. So, right, don't pray in front of others. So, I mean, today we've seen multiple people pray, and some people have said, and I've, been, I, I've received over the years um, uh, letters from people saying, you shouldn't pray in front of other people. And But the Bible says, and elsewhere, don't just take this one verse, that it's okay. Public prayer is okay. Giving is okay, 
right? Giving is okay. Giving and exhorting people to give is, is okay. So Jesus defines, this is key, what Jesus is going at is that you would not be consistent, let me come back over here, what you would, it would be the purpose. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others. Would you read with me the next five words? Let's read it together from this word. To be seen by them. Let's say it again. To be seen by them. So the motivation is here. So the motivation is not giving, right? Well, in this case, it's broad. Remember, it starts, verse 1, and we're going to stay pretty broad. Be careful not to practice your righteousness. Over the next few weeks, we're going to see that righteousness is through giving, is through praying and fasting. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Now, what happens when you're seen by them? They think you're pretty awesome. I mean, that's the point. And if they think you're pretty awesome, well, you've received your reward on earth and there's no reward for you for this in heaven. So public worship, public righteousness, doing things righteously in public is not a bad thing at all in and of itself. I think it's a good thing when we stop in a restaurant and pray. I think it'd be a bad thing if we got up and said, oh Lord, I thank you that I'm not like the rest of these people who haven't prayed these sinners. <laughs> so I hope you don't do that. Uh, but I think it's a good thing to bow our heads and pray in a restaurant, and we consistently do that as a family. Why? Uh, now, is that practicing your religion before others? Yes, but I'm not doing it to be seen by them, to receive their praise. I am doing it to ask God to bless our food and to remind my family that we slow down and thank Him, and if people see that, they can see our good works and give, God, give glory to their fathers in heaven. But here's the thing I want you not to miss. Sometimes practicing religion becomes kind of socially acceptable and socially desirable. So if all of your friends are religious, maybe all your friends are at Moody Church, and, and, and what happens is it creates a cycle where people begin to practice their religion for the praise of others. Now, I know some of you don't like the term uh, religion, but this is a term that describes people who are living religious lives, and, some, and that can be a good word in the book of James. It's seen as a good word. And so, so again, uh, we, what we see here is, is that they're, they're actually standing in some way before others to show just how important they are religiously. Now, why does that matter? Well, because there is a sense that there's, it's okay to, to live a righteous life. Matthew 5, 16 puts it this way. It says, let your light shine before others, right? We want to shine our light so they may see your Father who's in heaven. So what's the difference? It's so to be seen by them. And right after, Jesus says, you won't receive reward in heaven because you've got your reward here. So you're being seen by them as showing that you are more religious. Now, why does that matter? Well, you see the difference. In chapter 6, verse 1, the chastisement is against those who uh, do good deeds to be seen and praised by others. In chapter 5, verse 16, the good deeds uh, bring awe and wonder in others to the praise of God. So you see the distinction between the two, right? There's an unmistakable difference between righteousness for the sake of self-praise and righteousness that causes others to praise God. Let me say it again so you don't miss it. There's an unmistakable difference. You know it already. You know it when you see it. There is an unmistakable difference between righteousness for the sake of self-praise and righteousness that causes others to praise God. And the difference is in the heart. The difference is, is, uh, is how is it done and is it done in the uh, right heart. Now, it says no reward in heaven, which is kind of interesting. That, 
we don't talk a lot about rewards in heaven. I've heard Pastor Lutzer uh, talk about that in the past. We don't talk a lot about rewards in heaven because we know heaven's just a reward. Now, this sermon, you can actually, if you Google Pastor Lutzer's uh, written and spoken on this, and it's really helpful. We don't have time to unpack all of that, but it does address some of the issues of rewards in heaven. But, but the reward that comes from the Father is an eternal reward, one that moth and rust will not destroy and where thieves won't break in and steal. And, and those not receiving reward from the Father, right, uh, they, they, they ultimately, we learn in Matthew 6, right, it's a temporal reward. They get a temporal reward of verbal praise. Oh, you're really religious. That's really awesome. Remember here, Jesus calls us to be godly when sometimes we just want to look godly. So let's look at number two in our outline, the wrong way to give. We look at the general instruction on true righteousness. This is going to be the theme of the next three sermons on Matthew. Remember, we'll have a few weeks between them. Uh, the wrong way to give is number two on our outline. Remember, Jesus calls us to be godly when sometimes we just want to look godly. And when it comes to giving, that's the example. Remember, hypocrisy is the issue. Giving is the example. So let's look at what it says, right? It says this in Matthew 6, 2. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Now, again, the second time. So, remember, the, the point is hypocrisy. The example is giving. So, what the example of giving is when you announce it publicly, you receive no reward or you've received your reward here. Hypocrisy is the concern. Giving is the example. Now, now don't miss this. We're commanded to give. And don't miss that. He says, when, so when you give to the needy, when you give to the needy, which shouldn't surprise us because Deuteronomy 15, 11 puts it this way. It says, for there will never cease to be poor in the land. Therefore, I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy, to the poor in your land. So there's a clear sense, right, that we should. Matthew 5, 42, Jesus puts it this way. Give to the one who begs from you and don't refuse the one who would borrow from you. Now, again, we've talked about this a few weeks ago. For more context, you can go there. But there's a very clear sense that there is a wrong way to give and a right way to give. And the Old Testament's filled with commands, right? Remember the story of Ruth after being widowed and following her widowed mother-in-law to Israel. She's going to harvest grain on the edge of the fields because the Old Testament commanded that some grain be specifically left over for the poor. The commands, they're very clear. Do this, right? Um, partly because there's no such thing as public assistance. There's no food stamps. There's no WIC. There's no, there's no social safety net like we have today. There, so the well-organized system of caring for the poor actually was tied around almsgiving around the synagogue. So in a sense, uh, churches took up, the synagogues took up the responsibility. Today, if we did, it'd be like churches, took up the responsibility and said, we are going to care for the poor. And I will tell you, that's not dissimilar to what Moody Church looked like over a century ago, where we had in and around this neighborhood, this was a rough neighborhood, and Moody Church was a place that, that people would serve and minister and care for others. And, and so, so they were known for caring for them. Abraham Lincoln would come visit the Sunday school here that ministered to children with the L. Moody and more to see what was going on. So again, there was a uh, social safety net, but this is also important because the social safety net was sort of around the synagogue. Today we think of that as the church. And so Jesus commands that such action, right, should not be announced the way hypocrites do it. So we know now, here's where we know the difference, right? So you can be religious and a religious hypocrite you can be doing good things, like giving, in a hypocritical way. See, 
before we learned some bad things you could be doing in a hypocritical way. You know, you say not murder, but you hate your brother. That's hypocritical, right? So now we're getting a picture of you can do good things in a hypocritical way. So Jesus is actually saying, don't draw attention to be honored, to be honored by others. Now, um, I mean, it's kind of weird to think about blowing trumpets before you give, uh, but there's a little context that's here as well. It's not just, um, you've heard of people who blow their own horn, right? So it's not just that, but it probably refers to the uh, practice of blowing trumpets before a fast, at which time the offering would be taken for the poor and, uh, and, and people would take notice, and, and but whatever it's meaning, right, those who did so did so in worship settings. They were showing how religious they were, so they got their reward here, and Jesus sees this. And remember, this is so important, right? Remember that Jesus is consistently hard on religious self-righteous people and grace-filled to everybody, but hard on religious self-righteous people and particularly, obviously, grace-filled to those who are broken those who are sinners, and those who are poor. So again, uh, Matthew's written elsewhere on the older brother. I mentioned that, the older brother, sort of the more religious brother. But look, look what happens in all these things. And, and so Jesus is, is coming to the heart of the matter. And we actually see this in other places. When it comes to giving, matter of fact, I mean, Jesus puts it this way. Someone was obsessed with money. Jesus says to the rich young ruler, Matthew 19, 21, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess, give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. So Jesus, if, if, you're, if you're struggling and, and you're, you're enslaved to your money, give it all away, uh, Jesus says. So again, it's not that giving is the issue. Uh, as a matter of fact, Jesus goes right at the heart of people who are obsessed with money and says, give it all uh, to the poor and come follow me. What the issue is, is hypocrisy. In this case, it's religious hypocrisy. Look at me, I'm giving. Now, I don't think today, I mean, we don't blow trumpets before we have our services and we don't do uh, the offering. Now, I've actually started a church where um, we were meeting in a movie theater, and a very, we sent in a mailer, and so people came to the first service of the church and at the Regal Cinema, and uh, one guy got the mailer, never met him before, never saw him again, and he decided to bring his shofar to church to, uh, to blow the shofar at the beginning of our service um, without permission or our knowledge. It was very, uh, have you ever heard of shofar? It's a very, very loud thing. Um, and so I've actually seen a trumpet blown before a service, and it does get everyone's attention, I assure you, and security was involved very quickly as well. Um, so don't bring, we kind of have a don't bring your own instrument policy at Moody Church, right? And they've got lots up here, and that's where we keep them. Um, but, but Jesus is calling us a different way. He's calling us to be godly when sometimes we just want to look godly. And some of you experience that as a daily struggle because you live sort of with a religious scorn towards other people, and you vocalize that to other people because you feel in some ways, I'm not saying for all, I'm not even saying for most, because you feel in some ways by vocalizing your religious scorn to others, others will think you're more righteous. Now, I want you to know, there may be some around you who actually do, but most people just look at that and say, you need a dose of Jesus' grace in your life. And I want you not to miss that. Right? Now, some people, you're not a follower of Jesus, and this is just kind of strange to you. I'm going to address that in just a minute, but I want you to see we want to live lives. Jesus calls us to be godly when sometimes we just want to look godly. So he leads to number three, the right way to give. So let's take a look at that, right? The right way to give. We've looked at general instruction on true righteousness, the wrong way to give, the right way to give. Remember, Jesus calls us to be godly. Sometimes we just want to look godly. Hypocrisy is the current concern, giving is the example. So Jesus addresses this hypocritical giving for what it is, 
right? Seeking the praise of others. And he instructs his followers the right way to give. Here's what he says. But when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Now, this is hyperbole. There's no way that your left hand can't know what your right hand is doing. So, so I mean, Jesus is saying, you need to just really keep this between you and the Lord. He says, so that your giving may be in secret. Uh, then uh, your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now, again, keep in mind, Jesus is speaking to an issue of hypocrisy is the concern. Giving is the example. And so instead of announcing the world what we have given, uh, the God-honoring way is to give quietly. Now, again, I will tell you, there are financial implications of that. When I was a kid, uh, we grew up at a, at a church. We didn't go much to the church, but, but uh, when the church we went to would print out every year the amount of money people gave and put it in the program. Wouldn't that be awesome? Um, no, it would be terrible. I mean, can you imagine looking and seeing and saying, and saying oh, I'll look down on this person, or maybe I'm impressed with this person? But, 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 but again, uh, we don't do that here. Why? Because we want to, in a sense, say your giving is in secret. And so, and actually, I will tell you that when you like, ask people to make pledges at a church, uh, or, or for example, uh, when you charge people for uh, rent for their pews, you say, eh, that's a crazy idea. Well, actually, Moody Church was one of the largest and first churches to say, we're not charging people rent for their seats. And so that's one of the reasons on the outside it says, ever welcome in this house are strangers and the poor, because the reality is in most churches built around this time and before, they're actually with people. So this is like, you know when some of you come in and you really get irritated when a visitor is sitting in your row? Well, 100 years ago, you actually owned that row. Now you're just overly and inappropriately attached to it. <laughs> is that too much? That cross, Bill, did that cross the line there? Is that all right? No, okay. Because Bill's got his seat right there, and we love that right there. So, 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 so again, so, so we, we, again, we were a trailblazer in that, that ever welcome in this house are strangers and the poor. There's no seat rent. There's no assigned seating. But again, those were all ways in which affluent people could say, look at how much I give. And so, by the way, that's a reminder to you to be faithful with tithes and offerings because we don't have mechanisms to say, look, we, this person pledged this much and we're going to do this, or this person bought out this row. We all are in this together, and I thank you for your faithful giving. After our stewardship series, I thank you for the increase in giving. As some of you said, I'm going to be more faithful in this as well. So instead, in secret, right, in contrast to blowing your trumpet, pointing different motives, and secret shows you're not practicing your righteousness for the praise of others because you're not making it known. You'd rather receive no praise than the accolades of people. There's no room for patting each other on the back saying, look, I gave more than you. Now, 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 now again, but this is the bigger issue, right? Remember Matthew 6, 4. This is key. Matthew 6, 4, your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. This is the true prize. This is the everlasting recompense. A reward from your heavenly Father matters more than the temporary praise of others. And so Jesus' followers, Jesus is saying a different way of righteousness, it's not looking more religious than others. He calls us to be godly when sometimes we just want to seem godly. Now, I'm suspecting there are people in this church who who are not followers of Jesus. And what I would say to you is if you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to trust him and commit your life to him, respond by grace and through faith, I don't want you to just suddenly look religious. I want you to get to know and be changed by Jesus. 
Matter of fact, for the first few years following the resurrection, they weren't called Christians yet. They were just called followers of the way. I want you to be that way, the kind of way that's a follower of Jesus, because Jesus calls us to be godly, not just to look godly. We're called to imitate him and follow him. And so he wants to please his father, so do we. And we see this hypocrisy theme pretty, pretty hardcore throughout the Bible. Look at 1 John 4, 20. It says this. It says, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. Hypocrisy. Don't miss the, the, the continuing theme of hypocrisy that's there. Jesus does not speak softly to hypocrites. Let me say that again. Jesus does not speak softly to hypocrites. He speaks softly to repentant sinners. And that's so important. Matter of fact, there's a phrase um, that uh, the church should uh, comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. Uh, that phrase actually came from a guy named Martin Marty who took it from a newspaper thing before that. Martin Marty, a famous historian here in Chicago. I brought him to church here uh, on Christmas Eve. And, and I like to say that about the church. The church should comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. Well, that's what Matthew does. Matthew, Matthew comforts the afflicted and afflicts the comfortable because what he says is, is over and over again, and the Bible does this as well, but Matthew's like, it's hypocrisy. Listen to Jesus' words, hypocrisy. The older brother, we got to have a different way, but that's a theme throughout the Bible. Look at Titus 1.16. It says, they profess to know God, right? They profess to know God, but their deeds deny him, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. Profession without obedience is hypocrisy, and the Bible is hard on this reality. Jesus in Mark 7, 6 puts it this way, and, and he said to them, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. The danger is religion for show without a heart change. Now, now, again, I know that sounds very easy. Can I just tell you that? I want you to hear this. I want you to hear from me. I struggle with this sometimes because the reality is I got to get up and preach a message and pray regardless of whether or not I'm right with the Lord in any given week. And I'm guessing you struggle with this in your own way sometimes as well. Jesus calls us to be godly when sometimes we just want to look godly. You remember at the beginning we talked about Uber and how Jesus was uh, arriving in six minutes. And I think that's the question. It's a good thing to live in light of the imminent return of Jesus. That's a doctrine we believe here at Moody Church, that Jesus could, the, the, the trumpet, the real trumpet, could sound at any moment. We could be in church. We could be sleeping. But at any moment, the trumpet will sound. The dead in Christ will rise and we'll be with him in this glorious, glorious calling of his people. And here's the reality. Jesus is reminding us again and again, live in such a way that if that happened, you didn't have to rush and take six minutes because Jesus was on his way. Because here's the reality. I want you to miss this, right? 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 Um, about six minutes after I got my first notice, I got this. Please meet Jesus now. <laughs> and he's driving a Lexus, which I didn't really get, right? Because <laughs> let's be honest, don't we all expect him to come in one accord? <laughs> I know. I, I really, I crossed it out, I put it back in, I crossed it out, I'm kind of, I'm kind of ashamed of that. Um, but not all ashamed of that. Um, to Jesus, you're going to arrive. Now, the question is, is how then do we prepare ourselves in light of that? Well, we do that by having a greater righteousness rather than show religion. You see, there's a beautiful, clear promise, but it's a challenging promise. Look at what it says. 
Luke 12, 3, it says, Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in the private room shall be proclaimed to the housetops. See, there's a clear promise. But here's the thing. Jesus really wants to get the things out of your life that undermine the integrity of your Christian faith. I don't want you to miss that. And these words relate to you, I imagine. They do in some ways. They do to me. Please give heed to Jesus' words, right? There's no lasting satisfaction, only empty praise from others who are likely seeking the same from you because we all want to look religious, want to come to Moody Church, look like we got it all together. Here's the deal. I know you don't have it all together because I don't have it all together. Instead, practice greater righteousness, kingdom righteousness that seeks to honor God by obeying Him through the right actions of the right heart. See, He knows, He knows it's easier to look godly than to be godly. It's easier to look righteous than to be righteous. He knows. But Jesus calls us to be godly when sometimes we just want to look godly. And I wonder if we could take just a moment and ask, how does this message speak to you? It's very easy to say, well, we don't blow trumpets, Ed. I mean, that's not a thing we do. But remember the theme, the issue is hypocrisy. Giving's just the example. And I'm guessing, at least there is in my life, there are areas in my life when I am not aligned as fully as Jesus would have me to be in the power of the Holy Spirit to the greater righteousness he has for me. I'm growing every day. I hope you are. I hope you haven't arrived. Because when you arrive, you start acting like that other brother, every, older brother every day, kind of walking around saying, you know, I can't believe these sinners haven't caught on yet. But when you understand Jesus, you walk in the fullness of that grace. You search out the hypocrisy over your, in your own heart. And we'll do that together the next few weeks together. So let me encourage you. Let's take just a moment. Let's bow our heads. Let's stand together first. And as we stand, let's bow our heads. And let's ask God's grace and guidance as we spiritually come to the altar. Right? The coming to the altar is a phrase in the Bible for when we come before the Lord, we lay our hearts. We place our hearts on the altar. We place ourselves on the altar. We say, Lord, clear us of any hypocrisy. Jesus is coming soon. May we live in light of that truth. Our prayer partners are going to start walking the way right up here right now because I'm going to give you the opportunity. As they're going to be standing up front and they'll be standing in the balcony here and here, I'm going to give you the opportunity to pray with them as you're so inclined. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, we acknowledge today that, Lord, in, our, in these words that Jesus says, they're not about Pharisees 2,000 years ago. I mean, they are, but... Hypocrisy is the focus, Lord, and there's not a person in here sometimes doesn't look more godly than they actually are. Hypocrisy is the current giving's the example, or maybe giving's not, and maybe we're not, maybe we're giving secretly, maybe we're, maybe we're, we're being faithful, and thank God for that, but, but hypocrisy is the concern, giving's just the example. So, Father, would you speak to my heart right now? Would you speak to all of our hearts right now? Those who are worshiping with us online, people here in the room, just take just a moment with your head bowed and your eyes closed. And here's my question for you. What areas in your life are you better at looking religious and looking righteous than actually loving Jesus, resting in his grace, and growing in righteousness? I don't know what it is for you. I know what it is for me. I've got to continue to pray with the, before the Lord and say, Lord, help me to stay spiritually focused in the midst of busyness. Not just to look like I love your word, but to love your word day by day. Maybe it's something else for you. I don't know what it is. Take just a moment. Your head bows, your eyes closed. I'm going to invite you to spiritually come to the altar. Present yourselves, therefore, to God as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. To present yourself on that altar and say, Jesus, I give myself to you. 
If you're not a follower of Jesus today, you can call on his name and say, Lord, I, I need you. Forgive me of my sin. Come into my heart. Be my Savior and my Lord. And we'll have people standing at the balcony. You already see them there, down front as well. And as we sing this song, I want to invite you to come, pray, trust Jesus with people who pray with you. But I don't think there's a person here, don't you miss this, there's not a single person here who should not be listening to the words of Jesus and say, well, you know, I apply to somebody else. What would be the level of hypocrisy to hear something that Jesus said that millions and millions of people have read and say, well, that must apply to somebody else? It applies to you. What areas of your life do you need to stop looking righteous and actually grow spiritually in godly righteousness? Father, give us that wisdom. Give us that direction, Lord, as we, as we sing. As we sing, come to the altar and we yield ourselves afresh to you, Lord Jesus. May you be glorified. May you speak to our hearts, every heart here. Lord, may not just be singing, may we be praying and dealing with the Lord. Maybe even some coming who want to pray with others and trust you. But Lord Jesus, we come to the altar. We hear your words, Jesus. They weren't just for Pharisees 2,000 years ago. They're for Pharisees sometimes like me today. And I bet I'm not the only one. We come to the altar. Let's sing together.